This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Well, it's a blessing to be here this morning uh, with you all gathered together again. Um, as David mentioned, we're continuing our leadership series. Uh, we started um, by looking at 1 Timothy 3, 2-5, the, the idea of leadership, the idea of elders and deacons and leadership in a congregation. We read here in this chapter, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach or able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, no, not greedy for filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And there's ideas here and questions that are asked of, of a man, and we've been looking at, at this um, progression as uh, you can lay it out. In 1 Timothy 3, uh, or in this chapter here, these ideas of being blameless and vigilant and sober and good behavior and hospitality and all these things relate to you as an individual, you as a man, you as a person, and that's why we started with that, those questions. Do you even believe in Christ? Do you even believe in His Word in the first place? And if you do, then you are going to live as a disciple. And so you're focused on yourself and, and the way that you're living and choosing to live in godliness. And then we examined last time the being the husband of one wife and, and uh, how it relates to one ruling his own house well. You as a husband, what you're, you're learning and what you're doing and what you're accomplishing in your marriage, um, this true ideal of love and submission, putting your own desires aside, caring and protecting for your wife and your bride, uh, and serving one another in, in your marriage as a husband and wife in the Word of God. And if you're a man that is a godly man, you're a disciple of Christ, you will seek to have a godly marriage, and in that marriage you're communicating something important, and that is the relationship and the unity in Christ and the church. And that's the, the, the great importance of marriage. And it's important as leaders for us, if, if we cannot take care of our own house, our own wife, our own bride, how will we take care of the bride of Christ? That's the, the question that we asked. And um, and looked at last time. So today we're going to look at the responsibility of a father because we must be the one that rule our own, rules our own house well and that word rule means to oversee. Uh, we must oversee our own house well and, and it says having our children in subjection with all gravity. And so we're going to look today at our responsibility as fathers and how it relates to our, our leadership and, and I think we'll, we'll see some connections here. But if we're a godly man seeking to have a godly marriage then we're going to want to be godly fathers because as Paul said, again, if a man does not know how to oversee his house, how will he take care of the church of God? We need to look and understand that, that the way we interact with, the things we choose to do as an individual, the things we choose to do as a husband, the things we choose to do as a father, all of this is, is training ground and it's critical for us as men that will become leaders in the church as in the role of elders or deacons. And so these things are very, very important. Now, in the role of a father, it's very important because it reflects the relationship that uh, it reflects a relationship. Again, uh, just like husband and wife is a relationship of Christ and the church, a father to his children is communicating the relationship between God and his children. And so you're showing a model of that and you're communicating this idea in the way you interact with your own children. Uh, there's a lot of areas that we could probably spend talking about, but I just want to focus on three like overarching ones. And we're going to start with the, the idea uh, that there is a great need for men to be leaders in your home. We talked about this last time in marriage, but men must be leaders. Uh, and what does that mean? Um, I don't think it means being a dictator in your home and barking orders at everyone and putting everyone on edge and, and um, making it burdensome for everyone. And I don't think it means delegating your responsibility to your wife to take care of, uh, but it does mean to, to take intention and purpose and, and action. Like our Heavenly Father, it's about setting the standard in our home and being a model for what is good and right. And so you as a man must be the standard of holiness in your house. Uh, when Jesus taught us about how to live and what to do, you know, and, and, and how we're supposed to love impartially and how we're supposed to uh, bless even those who are enemies and be generous even to, to, to all those who ask, uh, perhaps the just and the unjust, as he used God, our Father, as the blueprint, as the model for how we should behavior, or, or how we should uh, model our own behavior. 
in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You see, he uses God as the, the, the standard and the ideal, and God is the perfect model of holiness that we all should be striving for, and that's what Jesus pointed to. And in that same way, you as a father in your home are the model and the standard bearer, and, and you have to be an appropriate model of holiness, one that your children can look to and point to and say, I need to live up to that. I need to be like, like this. Um, that's why it's important to be a holy individual, believing in Christ and his word. We have to be holy in, our, in, a, in a godly marriage because at each step of the way, we're showing our children what actions we should be taking and what, how we should be seeking God and looking to hit for His glory. Because your kids are going to look at you and follow your example. Proverbs chapter 23 says, My son, give, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Now whether you want this to be the case for your own family or your children or not, you're modeling something for them whether it's good or whether it's bad. And our kids are absolutely going to become copies of, of us, uh, or at least re- be greatly influenced by the actions that we take, the behaviors we model for them. And, uh, you know, I think this is a, a really important time for self-reflection as fathers. And, and I know it, it is for me as I'm thinking about the study and, and was putting these notes together, Sometimes I get surprised by my kids. I get frustrated or, you know, I get worried and think, where did they learn how to act that way? And I don't have to look very far for the answer. Um, and sometimes I feel ashamed because I know exactly where they get it from. You know, if, if there's times where I'm in a bad mood and cranky, and for some reason it's every time we're about to go on a trip, I know why that's true get up and get in the car and it just it turns on. Um, you get in a bad mood, things aren't going so well, maybe they're learning to be snappy. That's where they're learning it. And they're, they're learning that, oh, it's okay to be snappy in these situations uh, and not handle them well and be cranky with each other. Maybe there's times where I have, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's not so, so fun and I'm not so excited to share my, my desserts, you know, and my food. And uh, they're looking at me going, you know, give, I want some of that. And, and I'll kind of, sh- you know, brush them off. But, you know, I'm inadvertently teaching them to be selfish. Because then I see it in their own behavior. When they have things and their siblings ask or other people ask and, and they, they say no and they, they act rude to people about it, they're learning the behavior somewhere and they're getting it from me. Um, you know, those are a couple funny examples and, and silly things, and it might, might seem like it's not a big deal, but it is actually a big deal. And especially in areas like uh, areas that I struggle with in, in just being engaged and connected and present at home. When I'm disconnected, I'm, I mean, I'm showing them a picture of what to do and how to handle stress, how to handle being overwhelmed, how to handle situations in life, and they're learning to be disconnected. They're not engaged because maybe I'm not engaged. All the things that I say, all the things that I do, all the ways that I react to situations, even, even things like grieving when there's times of loss or, or uh, it, just the way I deal with life in general and my outlook and my perspective on life, they are absorbing every bit of it. Every single bit. And so it's important. It's important to think about that. We need to help our children absorb how to speak, what to do, and how to act in pursuit of godliness. We need to be okay with them observing our ways and saying, put your eyes on me and watch the things that I'm doing. I want you to to live like I'm living. And you can ask yourself, is what my kids are observing from me, is it worth copying? It's a good question to ask ourselves. And it's one that we should ask ourselves often uh, as, as fathers. And in light of that, we should choose to be the kind of person that we want our children to become. If, if you have a goal, if you have this, this idea, this picture of what you want your child to be, it starts with you. You be that person and watch closely because they are watching you closely. And, and let's not just think about that um, in ways of those that come after us. I think that applies to you too. And in, in looking at your own life and reflecting on your own life, I think it's okay for us, and we need to, look back at 
What is it that we observed? What is it that we learned as men, as fathers, as parents? Um, now, I know I'm very focused on the fathers here, but there's a lot to learn here from, from others, too, as a shared responsibility, but good questions for us to ask ourselves in general. Um, but as men, as fathers, sometimes we... If we're thinking about this and saying, I am ashamed of the way what my kids are observing and the things that they're seeing from me, and I need to change those things, in order for you to start making those changes, I, I really believe that we need to address and understand and own the fact that maybe there's something that we learned. Because we learned from everything that we went through. We absorbed everything that we experienced with our own fathers and our own families. Um, maybe think about this. Maybe you're just reacting and behaving in all the ways that you learned from your family and all the ways that you observed. If your father was an angry man, maybe you're an angry man. If your father was a, was a patient man, maybe you learned to be a patient man. If your father was passive and quiet and never really got involved, maybe that's kind of how you are. You can probably see bits of that in your own self if you, if you look closely enough and you examine that deeply enough. In my case, uh, in my case, my, I really didn't have a father. Um, my, my dad was a drug addict and he ran off and he abandoned us. And my mom was way too busy living her own life and didn't care to spend time with us. Um, you know, I, I, there was a lot of times, um, she lived next door, which was the crazy thing. My grandparents raised us, and uh, I spent a lot of time at her door just waiting, just to see her, just to spend time with her, only to get brushed away, only to be told that she was too busy. Um, and, and even though, and I bring that up because I can just see it myself repeating those same habits in, in, in small ways. And even though things are much different for my kids, and, and, I, and I hope they are uh, much better, I can see that I'm just passing on those same types of feelings to them. I'm way too busy. I'm, I'm way too disconnected. I'm not even present at times. And they're getting to experience some of the things that I experienced. Um, and I don't want that. But because I'm not paying attention, or times that I don't pay attention and think about this and make different decisions, they get to experience that. Because the things that you learned are things that maybe they learned. Maybe your parents learned that from their parents or what they went through and what they experienced. And these, these behaviors are generational and they get passed down from generation to generation. And maybe you're just carrying forth this behavior and this model of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a father and what it means to be a leader in your home. And whether that's good or bad, you're carrying that forward. Because these kind of experiences have a deep impact on who we are. And again, it gets passed down to the next generation and they hold on to those things and they cling on to those ideas of who they are and how they are and why they are the way that they are and they hold on and to, to these things and serve these ideas and put these stories in their head and say this is who I am and as I was thinking about this I realized it's it's really not too different from the children of Israel and and here's how they they lived in Egypt and they lived in in all kinds of uh, service to different types of idols. Now these idols that their family served were things that their ancestors had. Uh, they had these family idols. So each family kind of had their own idea and these own idols and these own things that they, that they were influenced by. It shaped how they saw the world. It shaped the way they thought about things. It shaped the things that they desired. It shaped the way that they acted and their behaviors and the ways they viewed you know, life in general and, and their way of life. And that caused a lot of conflict with the things that God was trying to teach them because it was vastly different in many cases to what God hoped for them to live and pursue in holiness. And so they were clinging on to these idols and they passed this baggage on to the next generation to deal with because their kids inherited those idols and continued the worship of those idols. Did they have to keep carrying around those family idols? When they got new information, when they got... Uh, new data that, that suggested that they should change and commanded that they should change because they were going to receive far greater blessings and there were going to be greater rewards and they were going to live differently as God's holy people, his kingdom of priests. In light of that, they could have looked at those idols and said, no, you know, I'm not going to serve those idols anymore. I'm going to put those things down and instead pursue the attitudes and the, the, 
the ideas that God wants me to pursue. They didn't have to carry those idols around. And this is really the point that Joshua was making to them as he told them about the great blessings, the great wonders, the great works that God had done to save them and protect them from the Egyptians and to carry them through the wilderness. And uh, this is them getting right up to the point of them leading, uh, going into Canaan and conquering this land. And, and he says it's time to make a decision. You guys have been wandering in the wilderness. You have been living in, in all of these ways, serving your different idols, divided, not really knowing if you're serving God or you're serving these idols and you're going back and forth. But it's time for us as we enter into the land of Canaan, it's time to turn the page. It's time to put a period at the end of that sentence and put these things down and we're going to start living a new life as we enter into this new land. And you have to make a decision. This is what Joshua was telling the people. And so in Joshua 24, verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what Joshua was calling the people of Israel to think about and to and charge them and commanded them to do. We, these people did not have to keep carrying around those family idols and clinging on to these ideas that they needed to serve these, these idols that caused them to be evil and caused them to depart from the Lord and caused them to behave in ways that were not godly. And much like those idols... We don't have to carry around the baggage and the attitudes and the mentality and the behaviors that we saw from our parents. We cling on to those things as an idol sometimes, and it, it dominates our lives and it dictates what we do. But brothers, sisters even, we have a choice in what we're going to pass on to our kids. And Joshua is calling them to make a choice this day. He says, you make the choice today to put these idols behind you and serve the true and living God and pass that on to your kids. He says, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. That's the decision that Joshua made for his home and his family. He, he decided to put a stop to, to carrying around those idols and instead just ch chose to serve the Lord. And so think about your own life and your own situation. We all have baggage that we need to deal with. And as leaders of our homes, we have to own it. We have to do the hard work of owning our past and choosing to stop doing what we learned Stop carrying around those, those idols, so to speak, and, and choose to be different. Enter into a new life. Enter into a new, new way of life. Start building new habits. It's hard, and it's not easy, and it's difficult, and it's painful, but I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be worth it. It's for, the souls, for your own soul and for the soul of your children. Be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you think that when Joshua led the people, and he brought them to, the, to this, to this uh, point where they're going to go into Canaan, and he calls all the people, and he tells them to make decision. Do you think his kids were watching that? Do you think his family was watching that? Do you think the, the, all the people who decided and made a choice to serve the Lord were watching that? Do you think the people who decided that it was evil to serve the Lord? This isn't a good idea. I don't want to serve God. This is too hard. This is too much trouble. I'm going to serve the God of the Amorites. I'm going to serve the God that my father said. I'm not going to give up my family idol to serve this, this new God. Don't you think the children were seeing that? And they were impacted by the decisions that their fathers made in that moment. And your children, just like you were impacted by the decisions that your fathers made, your children are being impacted by the decision that you make and the decision you make going forth from this day. Choose you this day to serve the true and living God and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help them see that model. Set the standard. Set the precedent for them to follow. You set the bar high in the way that you live so that they know what they're striving for and they have a, a, a goal of godliness and righteousness because you need to choose to set the precedent of godliness in your home. Give your, give, give your children the gift of changing your family tree. Maybe there's things that your parents did great, wonderful. Carry those things forward. Maybe there's things that they didn't do so great. Be honest about that and acknowledge it and just own it and say, this wasn't, a, this wasn't so great and here's how it impacted me. I'm going to choose to do something differently. Give your children the gift of changing your family tree.
because what you choose today will influence your children's future and their children's future and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's going to have a generational impact. And if you live a godly life, it's going to benefit them because they're going to have a good example to follow. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The just man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Why? Because they had a good model to look at. His children are blessed because they saw a man who, they saw their father who was walking in, his, in, in integrity and in consistency and wholeness, pursuing godliness, pursuing what is good, pursuing what is just, pursuing what is right. And because the kids saw that, they were blessed because it impacted and influenced the life and the decisions that they made for themselves. And, and that's exactly the picture we get when, when God talks to Abraham in Genesis 18. He says, Abraham, has, he has, I've chosen to bless you. He is called the friend of God. God trusts in Abraham that he is going to do the right things. And not only that, he's going to pass it on to his kids. He says, I know him. I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of, of him. God knew this idea and this principle that what you choose to do is going to impact your family. And Abraham, because he was a faithful man and walked in his integrity and sought the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, he knew that he was going to pass that on to his children and teach them and command them to do those same things and live in the same ways. The impact that you have as a father on your children, that we have as fathers on our children, lasts a lifetime. And it's passed on from generation to generation. And brothers, men, we are leaders of our home. Lead your family in righteousness and set an example that can be followed so that your children and your descendants can be blessed, walking in the way of the Lord. Now that's, a, that's again, not to, not to exclude mothers because mothers have and share in this responsibility as well of being the kind of model for their children in, in all of these ways. And uh, I mean, if you're like our family, your kids spend the most time with with mom. And so it's absolutely essential that you're both on the same page unite on, as a united front leading in the standard of righteousness and modeling that for your children in, in your home. Um, but men, you have to take the lead and take the, the you have to lead the way in this, in this uh, responsibility. This is what God commands and requires of you. Now, <clears throat> the second area that I want to look at is that you as a leader are responsible for teaching and training your children. Now it starts with what we're modeling, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just like, hey, look at my example and just do what I do. No, it's about communication. It's about explaining. It's about teaching. It's about instructing and guiding you in all the things that are going on. Because if we don't do that, we're, we're just, we're going to become passive and, and not put the right priority in place and not pursue the right priority. And we cannot be passive. God wants fathers to be active and engaged and present and intentional. And so we ought to do that and look at the opportunity we have right in front of our face of teaching and training our children constantly. And that comes in sharing the Word of God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in in Ephesians chapter 5, not specifically related to, to fathers, not specifically addressing fathers, but all Christians. And this is the opportunity we have before us. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Wake up. Wake up to what's in front of you. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. That means watching your surroundings. You're walking, you're walking wisely. You're walking with intention. Not, not just uh, aimlessly, and not just unintentionally, and not, you're not just going to accidentally stumble into godliness. But he says, walk circumspectly, with purpose, with focus, with intention, not as fools, but as people who are wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's important for us to wake up and see the time that we have and take advantage of these opportunities that are before us and redeem the time. Make use, make good use of the time that's before you because there's days of trouble and we are in days of trouble. And your kids will experience days of trouble. And if you don't show them how to handle that and manage that in their own life, it will cause more and more trouble. 
you know, there's this old image. Lana and I were talking about this as I, as I was getting ready and, and getting these notes together and getting thoughts together. Um, now, I, I sort of had this because I was raised with my grandparents, so I, I had some model of a father and, and some image there, but, but uh, it seems like there's this old, this kind of common idea of, of, you know, this dad who's just super tired. He comes home after a long day of work. He just kind of falls into his special chair, just checks out mentally, and turns on the TV, and he's just zoned in on what's going on there. And maybe you experience that. And I think there's a lot of kids that experience that. Some kids, by seeing this, learn that their dad, perhaps, if, if their dad was an angry kind of person, um, maybe he was you know, lashing out verbally, or maybe not. Maybe, maybe he was violent with his silence. Some dads are a nuclear reactor, and man, you better, you better not set it off. Do not interrupt that television show. Do not interrupt his day. Do not bother him. It's just better not to even be around when dad's home. Some kids, maybe they learn that dad's just not available for me. He just doesn't want to talk. He just doesn't want to engage. He just doesn't want to be there for me. I cannot talk to him. I cannot communicate with him. Maybe some kids learn that, okay, well, this is what they're seeing on a day-to-day basis, so we're not doing this. We're not studying the Bible, so studying the Bible is just not for everyday life. That's just a special time. That's just a special thing that we do sometimes, and, well, we'll do it on a Sunday, but it's not for everyday life. This is the kind of things that are ingrained in the minds of a child, and so then they carry on those habits, as we talked about. That's how a lot of us might redeem our time today. And today, it's not that may not be a, a television, but it's our phones. Maybe it's video games. I know a lot of young young guys, um, younger guys, guys. I guess younger would be my age and and uh, lower. <laughs> no, I'm I'm getting old. Uh, it's funny because the the more and more people we hire at work, the younger and younger they are, and I just I feel like a dinosaur uh, all the time. Um, but a lot of people are into video games, and maybe it's work. Maybe we pour ourselves into work. Uh, for some some people, unfortunately, it's it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be any kind, any number of pacifiers that we dads use to escape because we don't know how to deal with this overwhelming life. We don't know how to deal with the, str- the stress and the pressure that's upon us as leaders of our home uh, and dealing with the stress of the responsibilities that are upon us. And what we're doing is teaching our kids in the process of, of how to deal with that as well. Um, and, and so we need to really consider that and think about this. Wake up to the opportunity that you have on a day-to-day basis, living and being with your family to redeem the time and to, to be teaching and training them. Because God, again, wants fathers to be active and engaged and present and intentional in our own lives and in the lives of our children and constantly communicating the Word of God to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we get a picture of this. This is what he told Israel in, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. He says, and you shall teach them diligently. That means putting an effort. It's not just willy-nilly. It's not just unintentional. It's not just by accident. You are teaching them diligently. You are putting purpose and intention into it to teach your children. And what, how, and when, and, and what. Talk of them. Talk of, of what? The commandments of God, the scriptures, the precepts, the judgments that he gave us, the ideas, the principles, the, 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 the goals, the outcomes. Speak of those things when you're sitting in your house. We sit around a lot. We sit around outside sometimes for hours. When you're just sitting around. When you walk by the way, when you're just out and about taking a walk, or you're walking from, you know, wherever you're walking to. When you lie down, when it's time for sleep, or when it's time to get up in the mornings, in the evenings, bind them for a sign upon your hand. And that's something that the the Jewish people would do to as a reminder. We can set reminders for ourselves. We can put things uh, in place to help us remember. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. It's just something that's constantly in front of you and at the top of your mind always. And you shall write them upon the post of your house and upon thy gates. It's something that is just your way of life. It's an all-consuming 
mindset. And it's not, uh, it's not as complicated as we might think, and, and I'll, I'll get to some examples here in a moment, but, but God wants us to make this a way of life, who we are and what we are, so that our children can be brought up in this environment. And I'll tell you for myself personally, when I am present and engaged with my kids, and, and I feel like we're having a good a streak of we're talking about the scriptures and we're talking about spiritual things and I'm helping them to try to grow and understand and I'm present and I'm, I'm with them and I'm paying attention, they act different. They act better. They act calmer. Because they're getting actual time and attention with you because, you know, kids are just kind of be hyper in general and, and I know sometimes that's kind of annoying. Uh, but... But they're also just starving to be seen and have connection with their dads and with their moms. And we have an opportunity right in front of us to give our kids time and connect deeply with them around something that is so important, the source of our life, that is the scriptures. And I'll tell you the opposite is true. When I'm disconnected, I'm, life is just way too busy, I'm running around to all the things that I, that I need to go do and work and, and uh, all the stuff I got to do around the house and way too, too busy for us to be together, and especially way too busy to talk about the scriptures and to sit down and study with the kids, they act different. It seems like they get frustrated. It seems like they're a lot crankier. It seems like they're just in the same stressed out mood that I get into. Um, because they're just seeing that and they don't know what to do, and so they're just copying that. As fathers, we have the responsibility for choosing to be present and engaged in helping our children grow in spiritual maturity and it's a commandment that God gives us. In Ephesians 6, 4, he says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our relationship is going to help give them a frame of reference for their relationship to God. And this may be true for you, but maybe you look at your relationship with, with your father and map that onto your relationship with God and you're afraid that God is not available for you. You can't come to him and interrupt him. God's going to get wrathful and angry with you and blow up at you. Or hopefully God will be there and be supportive of you and will help you. Be the kind of father that helps your child see the kind of love that God has for them. And being available, being there, hearing them, helping them to learn and grow. Show them the way God loves and supports them in the way that you love and support them. Bring them up in the care of the Lord. If not, we may be provoking our children to wrath. Not only their own wrath and frustration, but bringing the wrath of God upon them. <clears throat> And, and this is something that we can start just as young as we're able to. We're all at different stages, different phases in our life. And, and there's no, it's not too late to start wherever you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at. Start. But the earlier you can start, the better it is. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, he says, Paul, reflecting on the life of Timothy and seeing the value, the benefit, the, the kind of man that Timothy was, he points back to where it all started. He says in that from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures which were able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy's mothers, because his father was a Greek and just gone, disconnected, wasn't there. Paul, Paul was like a father to him spiritually and guided him, but, but in the home as a young child, Timothy had his mother uh, and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. They both took time to talk to him about the scriptures, and they were faithful women who trained and taught and showed him and brought him up in, in these ways so that he, by the time Paul came, comes to him, he sees that this is a wise young man, and he understands and knows the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He can understand it and see it clearly because his, his parents put in the work, his, his mother and grandmother anyway. He had influences in his life to show him the salvation of Christ and to show him the love of Christ. So start as young as you're able to. Don't discount your children if you have small children as too young to learn because kids are capable of learning from a very young age, and we ought to learn as... as uh, start as early as we can to teach the scriptures to help them know salvation because that's the point. We're trying to help them be saved. 
And if your kids are older, that's okay. It's not too late. Um, I'm sure it can feel that way. I feel that way with, uh, at times. Uh, the older the kids get, I just feel like I've lost more and more time. And I feel like I'm, I'm, it's an uphill battle, but, but that's not true. You can start wherever you're at and start making it a habit in your family. And uh, you can make training and showing them a regular occurrence in your household. And, and I know it can get overwhelming when we say, fathers, you have the responsibility to train, or, or fathers and mothers, teach and train your children. I know that can feel overwhelming, but don't make it overcomplicated. This, this doesn't mean these intense sessions where you're just reading until you're just crying tears of blood and you're, you're just like, your mind is so shrunk. And you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean that kind of intensity. Now, sometimes it's necessary. To, we're reading and we're studying and we're, we're really focused on this specific topic for a time. Uh, but in general, training your children, it's just a long game. You're, doing, you're playing the long game. You're doing things long term. Things are spread out consistently over time. It's just a natural part of our lives. Make it a natural part of who you are. You know, and it can feel weird. It really can to break a routine and to stop doing something and to, and to start taking up a new routine, especially when we're just so busy. We're ingrained in these habits. We're ingrained in this way of life. But we ought to be intentional with our day and our time and incorporate training into the day. As, as we read in Deuteronomy, Teach them, teach them to your children, speaking when you sit down in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, just a natural, normal part of your daily life as you, as you go forward in life. And, and again, don't overcomplicate it. Here's some, here's some examples and ways you can teach your children wherever you go. If you have read a Bible verse or are meditating on a specific verse or a topic or an idea, share it with them. Tell them what's on your mind. Tell them what you've studied recently and just ask them what they think. Ask them questions. You'll be surprised at how much your kids want, want to participate. And, and it may be weird at first and they may not. They kind of, oh, I don't know. My kids do that all the time. I ask them a question, I don't know. But then over time you start building this habit. And then they start getting used to that and they won't feel so frozen up by that. And, and you're just... You're just starting to increase in that habit. So if you read it, share it with them. If you've, uh, maybe, if they're old enough to read, have them read a, a verse. Have them read a passage and see what questions they have about it. Just say, what do you think that means? Why do, why do you think that happened? The simple questions. Um, or maybe tell them questions you have about it. It's okay to tell our kids and show them that we don't have all the answers, that we have, we're curious about things and we have questions. Um, Maybe if you have them read a verse or a passage and then maybe you ask them a couple questions about it. It's, 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 it's really that easy. Just very simple things sprinkled in throughout their life, throughout their day. Uh, maybe you read a verse and connect, it, connect the dots to their world. Help them understand how it applies to their relationships with, their, with, with you, with their dad, with their, uh, or with their mom, with their brothers, with their, whoever. Show them what it means to, to see this carried out in their life. Um, something simple you can do after services on Sunday, ask your kids to tell you one thing that they remember from the sermon. That'll let you know if they're paying attention or not. Um, and you'll be surprised at, at what they remember. And it will give you an indication of what caught their interest. And then you can ask questions from there. Use that as a starting point and, and go from there. Maybe, maybe even ask them one, one thing that really stood out to them. Um, Think about the things that happened throughout your day and turn that into a parable. Hey, did you, when we got into this, we went to this place and I got frustrated and I got, well, here's, let's start connecting it to a Bible verse. Or let's say, hey, you can look at all, all the things that are going on in nature. Birds come down and they're eating food and they're doing these things. Connect that to the parable of the sower. Make these connections and make it more obvious and make it more apparent to them throughout their day. Uh, especially if you make some kind of a mistake Show them how to apologize. Show them how to, make, how to ask for forgiveness of that. Don't act, don't set an idea in your children that if you make a mistake, you're never going to own it, you're never going to admit it, you're never going to talk about it, and you're just going to pretend like things are fine and perfect. Because then they're going to do the same thing. Give them permission and teach them to ask for forgiveness and apologize for mistakes that they're making. You'd be surprised at the trust you can build with your children in, in, 
in short order when you make that the culture in your home. Maybe talk to them about a habit that you're wanting to change in yourself and then show them how to repent. Explain to them the process as you're going about it. Maybe you can talk to them when you're scared, when you're sad, and show them how to navigate grief, show them how to navigate that overwhelm, show them how to, to navigate those feelings in prayer and in study and, in, and, in, and just consistency and steadiness. Give your kids permission to, to grieve and know how to grieve because you're, sh- you're showing them and you're training them with everything that you do. Now just make the connection to your everyday life and pair that with the scriptures and you've got a powerful combination of training here. And the most important thing and, and impactful thing you can do as you're going along in life and you're making it your way of life is just include them in what's going on. Don't just brush them off as, as kids that are incapable of participating and helping. Oh, they're just, they don't know. They're not interested. Help them be interested by pulling them in. A great way to help your children learn is just find ways to help them be included, especially in the things that are going on in the church. And I want to give an example of the first century church at Tyre. As Paul was traveling around to these different places in Acts 21, he says, When we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children. These people, these disciples that they encountered at Tyre, that they spent days there with, when it was time to send Paul off, and it was time to, for him to depart, they all went together as families. They had their wives and their children there with them. And they went out of the city. And what did they do? They kneeled down at the shore and they prayed. They didn't just leave their kids at home. Well, they don't need to make this journey. It's too inconvenient for them. They're too tired. Let's just leave them at home. They don't care about this guy named Paul. They don't even understand. They don't even know who he is. They're not even going to remember him. It doesn't sound like these are the excuses they made. They instead said, we're all going together to send this man off. He's been here with us. He's been teaching us. He's been a blessing to us. We're going to go down. And, and in fact, they told him by the Spirit that he should not go to Jerusalem. And I think it was, there was some sorrow here because they knew what Paul was headed into. And they kneeled down together on the shore and they prayed. And I'm sure there was weeping and I'm sure there was tears as they departed with Paul. And their kids were a part of it. And I'm sure that made a lasting impression on them. Make your kids a part of the things you're doing in the church. If you're writing cards to people, if you're making food for someone, if you're going to visit someone, uh, if you're going to visit someone, um, explain. Take, take, take them along with you and just explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. You know, as, a, as an example, as a story, I remember we were at this congregation. Uh, we were there for a meeting, and, and the church was really busy. They had two funerals to take care of that week. And they were busy with, with cooking and figuring out how to get food ready, and they were starting to clean the building, and all of the adults are off in the kitchen and starting to do all these other things. And the kids were just kind of running around the building and playing, not really paying attention. Uh, but there was a brother there, and he, he stopped and he looked at the kids and said, Hey, kids, come help. I need you to do this job. I need you to pick up these things. There was some leaves that had blown into the foyer there. And he says, Pick up, pick up all these leaves, please. And the kids were excited to help. And they got to work. And, and they did a great job. They picked up all the things. Very simple thing. Wasn't a big, didn't seem like a big deal. Later on that week, I noticed as there was a potluck happening and there was you know, spills and messes going on, that there was some water that had been spilled on the floor. It was a pretty good amount of water, it seemed like. And I watched as those same kids who just the week before or earlier in the week were told and pulled in to help I watched as they, as they, on their own, unprompted by any adult, noticed that spill and said, hey, let's clean this. And I just thought that was such a, a neat example because if you assume that kids aren't paying attention and you just brush them off, you never pull them in, you never ask them to help, they're never going to know what to do. The reason they knew to look at that mess and say, let's do something about it, is because an adult pulled them in and said, here's a mess, do something about it, and showed them how to, to take care of it. And so they remembered that, and they did it on their own the next time. You're building habits with them when you, and, and pulling them in and giving them work to do and showing them how to do it. Um, everywhere possible, include your kids in service to one another and in the community. And as you go, explain why you're doing these things. And again, give them the opportunities as early as possible. 
uh, there's a lot of parents that are way ahead of us that seem to be frustrated because they never showed their kids what to do and all of a sudden they reach the age of 15, 16, 17 and then they thrust them into the service of the church and say, you need to learn how to do this thing. You need to learn how to song lead. You need to learn how to... And the kids just hate it. These young men just hate it. The young ladies just hate it. Because they've just never been taught that. And all of a sudden, they're expect they have all these expectations put on them that they never had before. It's like just kind of coasting along, and all of a sudden, oh, well, you're, you're old enough. It's time to be responsible. It's not fair to expect them to know what to do if they've never even been shown how to do it. Involve them in what matters most and be mindful of what you're training them in. Um, again, the habits your children learn at a young age, they carry that into adulthood. So don't think about training them to be good kids and just stopping there and being satisfied with them being good kids because you think they're fine. Train them to be good adults. Keep it going and help see the things that they're doing and how it's going to impact them as adults. And that takes us into our last point, which is discipline. We as fathers are responsible for discipline. Um, we have to be watchful for the danger that's out there. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants to destroy your children. And he will do so by any means. And just as any of us fathers would, would stand up to any predator that comes along that tries to, to harm our child, we would stand in and protect them and fight for them. We need to stand in and protect them and fight for them in this battle against Satan. We have to be watchful, and all parents in general. We need to be watchful for the potential dangers that are happening in our kids' lives. The things that Satan is doing and using to, to manipulate them and to, to, to twist their minds against the truth. We have to pay attention to what they're learning and what they're doing and what they're seeing and what they're watching and what behaviors they're developing and who they're learning them from. And treat everything with caution and be a provider for your family by looking ahead to see what these things could cause for your child and do something about it. Help them. Help influence them to change and do better. And that comes with discipline. That is rebuking and reproving errors. When our kids aren't behaving properly, we have to be swift to, to correct those things. Proverbs 13, 24, he says, He that spares the rod hates his son. But he that loves him, chasteneth him, chasteneth him betimes. It means you act quickly and swiftly when you see those problems. And if you hate your child, you'll sit back and be passive and do nothing. And you just let them learn those behaviors and let them, let them be destroyed later on down the road. Now, it does not mean, when we talk about reproving and rebuking, it does not mean blowing up at them. It doesn't mean being angry and flying off the handle at them and, and going too far in, in administering punishment. If you, if you spank your child or if you don't, you can still go too far either way. But it means paying attention and taking action to correct behaviors today that could kill them later. And I'm talking about behaviors that will kill them spiritually. And I know that some parents are very tender-hearted. They just cannot bring themselves to discipline their child never getting on to them, never, never really telling them no. But if, if you discipline your child, that does not mean that you are a mean person. That does not mean that you hate your kids. In fact, if we love our children and care about their future and who they're going to become as Christians or as people, hopefully they will become Christians, if we care about that, we're going to discipline them quickly. Because if you just are passive and you sit back and you don't do it and you're just, oh, I just can't bring myself to do it, you hate your children, is what the scriptures say. But if you love them, you will act. And again, that does not mean abusing your children, either by going too far in your rage or not giving them clear and steady instructions and expectations, because sometimes that's abusive. If you say, do this, and they get in trouble for it, or do this, and they, and they, they listen, but the next time you're not consistent with that standard and you get them in trouble for it, and the goal is constantly shifting and, and they never know what to do and what to expect around you because there's not clear and steadiness, that's abusive. That's wrong to, to not give your children clarity on what to expect and steadiness. And so, so again, discipline does not mean doing that to your children, 
but instead it means caring enough about them to help them change behaviors that could be damaging later. Proverbs chapter 12, 5 through 6, he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Remember, you're modeling the relationship between God the Father and, uh, and his children, and your own relationship with your kids. And, he, and here, the writer gives us this example, and he says, the ones that God loves, those are the ones he is chastening. Don't be upset and don't, be, uh, don't despise the fact that God has chastened you and corrected you and brought discipline and, cor- and brought correction in your life. And don't, don't faint when you're rebuked of him. Don't fall apart, but instead understand that he, he's doing it because he loves you. And I, I bring up this point because we cannot say that we love God and fail to show our kids that love. In, our, in anger or inappropriate behavior or even using silence as a weapon and shutting down and never really communicating with them uh, because you're teaching them how to view and respond to God's correction in their lives in the way that you respond to correction and administering correction. They're going to map that onto their relationship with God. Show them that you are a loving father that cares, that has a purpose and a reason for the things that you're doing. And, and that you're looking out for their best interest. Um, and again, we can't let bad behaviors go unchecked because that's going to cause problems down the road. We have to have the fortitude to take action now. Um, think about it this way. The longer you look away at the problems that your kids have and you pretend, they're oh, they're perfect and they're fine, there's no issues with them, the longer you do that, the harder it's going to get to deal with that problem it's going to get harder and harder and harder as time goes on to deal with it. Because by the time, it, it may be kind of cute when they're really little to disobey and to be disrespectful and to be mean and to scream at you when you tell them to do something. But if they learn that consistently over years and by the time they're 10, 11, 12, it's going to be exponentially harder to deal with that problem and get that corrected. And that's, that's a... a that's just one example. There could be way more serious examples. If you don't teach them to respect authority young, they're not going to respect authority when, when they're older. If you don't teach them to be responsible when they're young, they're not going to learn when they're older. And so the idea is that we either pay now with the grief that it might cause us to have to act and, and discipline our children, or we pay later in far greater frustration and headaches and heartaches because our kids are not following what's good or not following what's right, or we see the problems and the pain in their life. And your kids will end up paying far greater as well. Administering discipline isn't fun, but we need to know that we're doing it with a reason, with a purpose, and that is to correct them and to help them thrive. We want to help them thrive in their life. That's exactly why God does it, and that's exactly why we should do it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 He says, now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It's not fun to get corrected. I hate it. I hate getting corrected. When Lana comes to me and says, hey, that wasn't so great. You didn't do such a good job. You shouldn't have done that. I don't like that. And kids don't like that either. And we may, as as parents, may not enjoy being the one that comes to someone and says, you didn't do so great. And And to go to our children and say, this was wrong. It's grievous in the moment. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. It's not fun for your kids to go through being disciplined, but you need to understand that the goal is for them to grow from it, and peaceable fruit will grow from it. There's going to be good things that come from it, and it's hard for people to see that in the moment. It's hard for us to see that in the moment sometimes, where it's like, oh man, if I do this, this is going to crush them. They're going to hate me. That's not true. If you discipline your children, they're not going to hate you. They're going to love you for it because kids want structure. They want standards. They want clear expectations. They want to know how to please you. And if you, if you do this properly with care, with intention, with purpose, it's going to help fruit, the peaceable fruit of righteousness grow in their lives. Now, I think it's important for us to consider the role of mercy as well when we're administering discipline to our children. Don't be a heavy-handed dictator type of person in your house who can, where your kids can do nothing right and everything's always wrong and they're never living up to the standards that you have for them. 
obviously and of course we should never let problems just go unchecked and, un, un, and just do nothing about them. But we ought to know as fathers and, and show care and compassion to our children and know the difference between weaknesses that they have and areas that they're struggling in and, and disobedience. Because sometimes our kids don't carry out what we ask them to because they just can't. They just aren't able to. They just don't know. Um, they're, maybe they're doing their best. Don't treat them like they disobeyed and, and discipline them with the same, with the same intensity or the same, uh, the same kind of discipline. If they're trying, have mercy on your kids the, the same way God has mercy on your weaknesses. Psalm chapter 103, verse 13, he says, Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. I'm thankful that God has such pity on us like a father and sees when we're actually trying, even though we may, might make mistakes and might make a mess of it all. And he doesn't blow up at us and doesn't cast us out and doesn't strike us down right in the moment. That would have been done a long time ago. Look at the way God treats us in mercy and in compassion and care and discipline and Carry that on to your children. Show pity for them. When they're trying and they just can't, and you see how frustrated they are, just go in and help them. <laughs> go be there for them. And, and help them accomplish the task, and then you can slowly and surely teach them how to do it. And, and they will learn, and they will be able to do it on their own at some point. And then at that point, it's different when they know what to do and they're just not doing it. But it's different when they are trying to do, but they just don't know what to do. Um, so pay attention to that and have mercy on your children and show them the love of the Father. Brothers, this is so, so important for men to be leaders in our home, for men to be taking up the charge and teaching and training and disciplining our, disciplining our children with the end goal of we are trying to get our children to heaven. I want my kids to go to heaven. We should all, as fathers, want our wives and our kids to go to heaven. And we have to choose this day to be the kind of man that will do the work, that will not be passive, that will not be disconnected and disengaged, but instead step up and be leaders of our homes and help them day by day, little by little, as a, as, the, as a long-term way of life that you embody. Because if you aren't being the kind of father that takes care of his children in all these ways, how, as Paul asks, how will it even be possible for you to be a leader in the church that's responsible for caring for God's children? And the conclusion is that you won't be able to. So if you want to be a leader in the church, if you want... If you want to be qualified to be a man that is a leader in the church, you must take on this responsibility in your home, take on the responsibility in your marriage, take on the responsibility in your own life, because it will impact, it will impact how you are as a leader in the church. Um, if you don't care about your own children, you're not going to care about the children of God. And so, brothers, I, I pray that as difficult as these... Uh, past couple lessons especially have been that it causes us to, to self-reflect. It causes us to think about ourselves as in the role that God has put us into as fathers as, and, and as parents. I mean, moms, you have responsibility to help train and to teach your children as well and to discipline your children as well. You're, it's, a joint, uh, it's a joint responsibility as a father and a mother, but dads, we have to take the charge and set the tone for our families. But I hope it's given us time to think about ourselves and reflect and to examine and to see areas where we might be weak so that we can start growing in that now so that we can be strong leaders in the church later. Uh, we haven't talked about the first principles, of course, and the thing is God has such great love for us that he sent his own son to bear the punishment on our behalf so that we would not. That was his great mercy and tenderness he had towards his children and the pity he had on us. And so that, that blessing is available of becoming part of the family of Christ and receiving the love of the Father. But 
if you're here this morning as a Christian, as a, as a husband, as a father, as a parent, and you know, and this resonates with you, and there's changes you need to make, we as your family in Christ are not here to shame you and to make you feel uh, ridiculous and make you feel like, you've, like you're a failure, but we're here to help you own it so that you can move forward and make changes in your life, and we can do that together because there's areas we all need to grow in and improve. And so if you need the prayers of the church this morning, I, I beg you not to let your pride cause you to, to be held back. Don't let Satan hold you back. But instead, lead in showing your, your family and your children and, and your brothers and your sisters how to, how to repent and how to make changes in your life. Choose you this day and uh, come forward as we stand and we sing this song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.